Well, Acts chapter 17, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 6 as we begin our message today. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, but the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I want to preach to you this morning about being a godly influencer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word today. Give us an understanding of it that we might put it into practice in our lives. That those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior would be careful to use our influence to point others to you. That we would seek to make a difference, but not for our name's sake, for your name's sake. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last few years, there has been a dramatic rise in the number of people who are using social media to build a business around themselves and their personality and their ability to gain and maintain an audience. Uh, the term for those kinds of people are influencers. You may hear that on the news or something sometime about a certain so-and-so who was a social media influencer. And all an influencer is, is somebody who has become very famous online. They have a great following of people that watch or listen to uh, their videos or their podcasts or their thes whatever the case might be. And then they use that in order to make a living and some of them make quite a fortune at it. There are some social media influencers who are multi-millionaires and a few that are even approaching the billionaire mark simply because they have a lot of people online who like to watch them and listen to them. It's really kind of the most modern version of the age-old goal of rich and famous. How many of you, if you're willing to admit it, remember the show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? How many of you remember that? The rest of you, Google it. I'm sure there's a history article out there or something like that about it. But yeah, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was a TV show where they would showcase all, a lot of movie stars and things like that. And, and it would showcase their homes and how they lived. And everybody just oohed and awed over how they were able to live uh, you know, such an opulent and luxurious lifestyle. And you know, a lot of people... Even if we don't really admit it, the idea of being rich and famous kind of appeals to us, kind of appeals to our prideful nature at least because, you know, it seems like that would be a, that'd be a lot of fun. 
I mean, certainly better than being poor and unknown, right? And so Christians sometimes mistakenly think that in order to do something great for God, that they have to become rich and famous. They have to become like the modern day influencers with a great following of people to themselves so that they're famous, so that they can make a fortune, so that they can say that God has made them successful or God is using them. When actually that's completely backwards from what God has called Christians to be and to do. Now God has called Christians to be influencers. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He called us to be lights and to let our light shine. What, do, what does salt do when you put it on your food? Well, if you done right, it improves the flavor. It makes a positive difference. What does the light do? Well, it, it improves your ability to be able to see because it drives out the darkness. We've been called to be a positive influence in this world. But not like the world thinks of an influencer. Because we're to be a difference, not by drawing attention to ourselves, but by drawing attention to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, social media influencers are all about getting a following so they can be famous and make a fortune. But as Christians, our goal should not be to get a following to ourselves, to have a name that is recognized by the world so that we can profit off of it. Our goal should be to use whatever influence God has given us to persuade people to follow Christ. And I believe the Apostle Paul was a great example of this kind of an influencer. And he did this 2,000 years ago before Facebook was ever invented. However, he used his influence to make a positive difference in the world by persuading people to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've begun this morning in Acts chapter 17... And I believe this is a great example of the kind of influence that the Apostle Paul had and the scope of his influence with, his, with the gospel that he preached. In this story, they, they came to this place called Thessalonica. And they were um, in this time period when they were traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And they come into Thessalonica. And Paul had a certain pattern that he followed when he went into a city. It's given to us in uh, verse number 2. It says, As his manner was, he went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. Now this is not the message, but just notice how Paul went about establishing a ministry somewhere. First of all, there was a good bit of repetition involved because he went into this place and three Sabbath days in a row he did the same thing. It says he reasoned with them out of the scriptures and he was so he was presenting them with truth and persuading them to believe that truth as best as he could. But then there was also a reliance on the word of God because he reasoned with them out of scriptures. And so this was Paul's regular pattern. You can trace this through just about every place that he went. You're going to see a very similar pattern often repeated that when he went into a place, he went in there and he opened the Bible and he preached Jesus. Well, in this particular location, this town of Thessalonica, they had quite a few people respond to the message positively. A number of people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They placed their faith in His death, burial, and resurrection for their sins. And so they began to regularly meet together with Paul and the others uh, to, to learn more and to learn how to be a follower of Jesus. It says in verse 4 that there were many devout Greeks, a great multitude of them, in fact, 
And then there were of the chief women, not a few. So there was quite a few people that had aligned themselves, had believed in the faith, of, uh, uh, had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and had associated with the Apostle Paul. Well, some people didn't like that. It says in verse 5 that the Jews, which um, believed not, were moved with envy. And so there, were, there was this pocket of people in Thessalonica that didn't like what they saw going on. They didn't like seeing Paul getting all this attention. They didn't like seeing all those people following him. They were envious of that. And so they hatched a plan to try and ruin Paul. I, I like how verse 5 says that they got to themselves, notice this phrase, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I mean, that's probably the most epic old English cut down right there you could come up with. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. In other words, these were nasty guys. These were just mean guys. They were just, they had no problem lying and, and uh, ruining people's lives. And so the Jews, who were supposed to be very religious, very godly people, teamed up with these obviously ungodly men for the sole purpose of making life miserable for Paul. And so they go to where they think Paul is, this guy's house, uh, this guy named Jason's house. Apparently the believers had been meeting there. And so they go to his house because they want to um, uh, persecute Paul, probably wanted to attack him, imprison him, maybe even kill him. So they go there, but Paul's not there. They can't find him. So what do they do? They bring out Jason, the owner of the house, and uh, they uh, brought him before the rulers of the city. And I'll notice their accusation in verse number 6. And this is what I want you to see with me in, in regards to being a godly influencer. So what is stated here was the accusation from the unbelievers and the ungodly men against Paul and those who are following him. Notice what they said. They said at the end of verse 6, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What I want you to see is that this was not the believers saying, hey, Paul, you're doing a great job, man. You're really turning the world upside down. These were unbelievers noticing the impact and the influence that Paul was having and accusing him of turning the world upside down. Now, we know that because Paul was preaching the gospel, what he was actually doing was turning the world right side up. Because the world is already upside down in sin. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that puts everything right. But it is obvious from this passage that Paul had such a tremendous influence that these people could legitimately say, you are turning the world upside down. And we look at Paul's life and ministry and it is very evident that God used him in a great way to influence many people. And still to this day, we are being influenced through the ministry of Paul by the writing of Scripture that the Holy Spirit used Paul to write these inspired words that are preserved, that we have them today. We're still being influenced by what God did through this man. And so what I want to do is take just a few minutes this morning and show you three important points about Paul's ministry, about how to be a godly influencer. Not how to be famous and make a fortune, but how to have the kind of influence that will bring glory to God. First of all, as you look at the life of Paul, one thing is very clear. After he was saved, 
that Paul's goal was to make Jesus famous and not himself. His goal was to make Jesus famous and not himself. Now, the world says that to be an influencer, you have to attract people to yourself. And in order, to, uh, in order to be a success in that world, you have to have a lot of people who know who you are. It's all about brand recognition. It's all about name recognition. One way that we see this recurring is in the political cycle. It seems like we're always in that now. You know, didn't we just finish an election? Now we're talking about the next one. And as, as candidates come up in conversation, one of the things that um, the quote-unquote experts use to gauge how successful, what the chances of success this, this uh, uh, politician might have, is their name recognition. And so they will, they will conduct polls and they'll just call random people. Do you know who so-and-so is? Yes or no? I know who this is. I know who this isn't. One of the things that uh, President Trump had going for him when he was as, as a candidate is just about everybody knew who he was, even though he hadn't been in politics before. And so that name recognition, that fame, was a huge boost to him in, in the, the political sphere. And so people say that in order, to, in order to be a good influencer, you have to make yourself famous. And unfortunately, this creeps into the church and in the Christian world too. People teach that if you really want to do something great for God, you're going to have to make a name for yourself. You're going to have to become famous. And they have all the tips and the tricks, and usually it involves paying them so much money a month for their system to make yourself famous. Right? It's all about getting yourself to be known by as many people as possible. But understand this. Christians should never live to attract people to themselves. Christians should live to point people to Christ. Not to attract people to ourselves, to point people to Christ. John the Baptist, have you heard of him before? He was a famous guy. He's got name recognition. But do you know what he said? In John 3 and verse number 30, he said, He must increase. Speaking of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. I can tell you, if you wanted to start a consultant business telling people how that they can lose a thousand followers a day, it's not going to go very good for you. Because that's not what the world says is success. God says success is when there's less of you and more of God seen through your life. Turn to Acts chapter 14. I'm going to show you a story where Paul had an opportunity to accept the praise and the fame in really an extraordinary way, but he refused to do it. His motto was, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. In Acts chapter 14, they're in a, um, another place preaching the gospel there. and Look at verse 8. It says, There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now that's what happened to this. It's a miraculous healing through uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And when the people saw, verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, 
The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gate and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, And saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So here they are in this town. There's this miraculous healing. Obviously it causes a stir. But in this particular instance, somebody started a rumor the gods have come down to us. Hey, these are the gods. This is, this is Jupiter. This is Mercurius. These were gods of the Greek and Roman days, false gods. And, and people said, these are gods. Hey, get the priest over here. Let's have a worship service. Let's worship these two gods. Now, if ever there was an opportunity that a social media influencer would be jealous of, it would be this right here. I mean, these people literally were going to worship them as gods. Now, when this happened, Paul and Barnabas had a choice to make. Are we going to accept this praise of men? Or are we going to stop this nonsense and point them to Christ? We've read what they did. They ran in among them and said, no, wait, 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 stop. No, 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 don't do this. We came here to preach that you should turn from this foolishness to the true God. And rather than taking this as an opportunity to become more famous, they took this as an opportunity to make God more famous. Some people would say, well, you, you can't really be successful if you're unknown. Really. It's astounding to me. One of the things I love studying in the Old Testament is the number of unnamed prophets there are. You come across them ever so often as you're reading through the Old Testament. There's this, this prophet and you, you find that we don't know who he is. We don't know what his name was. We don't know where he came from. We don't know hardly anything about him. But you know what? He stood up and he did something for God. We don't even know his name today. Can you do something for God? Can you be successful and be unknown? Absolutely. If that's God's will for you. Now, at this point, somebody might be thinking, well, wait a second. Paul was pretty famous. John the Baptist was pretty famous. We're talking about him today. But here's the point. Yes, they are famous because that was what God wanted them to become, but that was never their goal. It was never their goal to make a name for themselves. And if we're going to be godly influencers... It cannot be our goal to try and make ourselves famous. It can't be about us. It can't be about ourselves. We have to be selfless to be a godly influencer. God must get all the credit from our lives. And any praise that others try to give us, we must reflect it to God because He alone rightly deserves it. Paul's goal was to make Jesus famous and not himself. But then I want you to see with me that Paul's goal was never to gain a fortune for himself. Paul said that they preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Paul had an opportunity in his earlier days to become a wealthy man. In fact, at some point he may have had some measure of wealth. He had the best of upbringings. He had the best schooling of his day. And he was in a position of power and prestige. But then his life changed when he met Jesus. And from that point forward, Paul never lived for material things. He lived to do the will of God for his life. Paul wasn't really concerned about living a comfortable life. In fact, he willingly endured quite a bit of hardship just so that he could tell others about Jesus. In fact, it cost him much more to preach the gospel than he ever received from preaching the gospel. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Philippians chapter 3 is Paul's testimony. He says in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now he's going to list his resume here, what most people would have counted as a benefit to him. Verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had all of these things in his favor that he could have used for his own benefit. But notice what he did with them in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ." And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Do you understand that Paul died in poverty? He was in prison for several years leading up to his ultimate execution as martyrdom. He did not live a life of luxury. He did not live a life of ease. He didn't even live a life of basic comfort many times. There were times where he didn't even have decent clothes to wear. There were times where he didn't get a regular meal. There were times he talked about when he was shipwrecked and had to float on the open water. There were times when he was beaten. We know that he was stoned at one, one point. And Paul said, I did all of that for Christ. Those things that were gain, I counted loss. And I suffered the loss of all things for Him. And friends, that's one of the reasons why He had such a tremendous influence. There are certain Christian influencers today who, quite frankly, have done very well for themselves through it. They're living a life of luxury far above that that the average Christian gets to enjoy. Now let me say, I, I do not begrudge anyone God's blessing on their life. 
If God blesses someone with a certain amount of wealth, that's great. That's wonderful. That's not a problem. But just like the fame that God gave to Paul, if God gives someone a fortune, that's great. But that should never be our goal. We should never live for material things. And we should not use our influence just to make a fortune for ourselves. There were times when the Apostle Paul even worked a secular job to pay his bills just so he wouldn't be a financial burden on young believers. Let's go back to Acts for a moment and look in chapter 18. Paul went to a town called Corinth and helped start a church there in Acts chapter 18. Verse 1, it says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So Paul's going to plant a church in Corinth. He gets there and he meets, meets this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who had been displaced from Rome, but they were believers apparently. And Paul teamed up with them and the Bible says they were of the same craft. They were tent makers. They literally made tents for a living. That was the trade that Paul would have probably learned from his father growing up as was custom that all Jewish boys would learn a trade. They had this strange belief that if you didn't teach a young man to work, you were raising a thief. Don't you wish we had a little bit more of that in our culture today? And so Paul probably would have, uh, would have uh, learned that as a child. And, and here he is. He's in Corinth for the purpose of planting a church. But you know what? He's got to eat. He's got to have a place to stay. He's got to have clothes to wear. So what does he do to provide for those basic needs? He goes to work. It's funny how often God's provision looks a lot like hard work. And so he gets busy working, making tents. And you know what? His ministry in Corinth was one of his most profitable ministries. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he would reference to the church there this fact that while he was with them, he wasn't a burden to them financially. He took care of himself so that he could be a greater blessing to them. He said in 2 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, When I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and on all things I've kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. It wasn't about making a fortune for Paul. Because he understood that to be a godly influence, you have to be willing to live a life of sacrifice. You have to be willing to give up some things that the world says you ought to have in order to be a godly influence. It cannot be all about material things and comfort and pleasure. You will never be a godly influencer with that kind of a life. You must be willing to give up whatever God might want you to give up in order to serve Him. He lived a life of sacrifice for the gospel. And because of that, he was a godly influencer. But then I want you to see the third truth about Paul that made him a godly influencer. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice verse number 1. He said, Be ye followers of me. Aha, right there. See? Paul was wanting followers. He wanted the clicks. He wanted the likes. He wanted the shares. He wanted that follower count to go up and up and up so that he could say that he was an influencer. They have these different levels of influencers now. They, you have a micro-influencer. That's 1,000 to 5,000 followers. And then you have a, a medium-level influencer. That's like 50,000 to 100,000. And then you have mega-influencers. These are people with millions of followers, right? People say, see, he's wanting followers. Wait, let's finish the verse. Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Here was the third truth that made Paul a godly influencer. He did not strive to build a following to himself. He encouraged others to follow Christ with him. See, Paul was a leader. And a leader without followers is just taking a walk. And anybody that's in any position of leadership is going to have followers. Yes. And that's not wrong. That's good. That's by design. And depending on what level of influence God has given you, you may have fewer or more followers. That's really irrelevant, though. It is not about the number of followers you have. It's about the direction you're leading them. And there is a big difference between a man who wants you to follow him and a man who wants you to follow Jesus with him. That's what a godly influencer does. A godly influencer just doesn't say, just follow me, and it'll be all right. A godly influencer says, follow me because I'm following Jesus. And I want you to follow Jesus with me. That was Paul's attitude. By the way, that's the difference between a true minister of the gospel and a false prophet. All right, a false prophet, a false teacher is all about getting followers to themselves and building their brand and getting famous and profiting off of it. But a true minister of the gospel is not going to say, hey, you just follow me. A true minister of the gospel will say, let's follow Jesus together. His brand of leadership then was the kind of servant leadership that Jesus himself taught. In Mark chapter 10, we find the story where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. Isn't that a funny argument for people to be having just a few steps behind Jesus as they're walking down the road? I just picture this image in my mind. They're walking along and they're back there just, no, I'm going to be greater than you. You're not going to be greater than me. I'm going to be greater than you. Everybody knows I'm going to be greater than you. And Jesus stops them. Hey, what are y'all talking about? Listen, Jesus knew what they were talking about. But this was a teachable moment. So, had this discussion with them about this philosophy of leadership. He said in verse 43 of Mark 10, but so shall it not be among you. You know, in the world, the world says, if you're great, you're going to have a lot of people serving you. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever will be the chiefest of you, among you shall be servant of all. Boy, that is completely contradictory to what the world says is greatness. 
great people in the world have the most people following them, most people serving them. Jesus said great people in his kingdom are the ones who serve the most. And the supreme example, verse 45 of Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to see... Uh, to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, left the glories of heaven to come to earth. He gave up all of that so that he could come down here. And when he came to earth, he was not born in a palace as a prince, he was born in a stable as a servant. He humbled himself, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself unto, even unto death, Philippians chapter 2 says. He became a servant to us all by giving his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and for your sin, paying that penalty so that we don't have to go to hell. He was willing to stoop that low for us. And he says that we ought to be willing to serve others in the same way. To have that same spirit of humility. Paul viewed himself as both a servant of God and a servant of man. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God. He said, I'm a servant of Christ first and foremost. But then he also said this in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That was Paul's philosophy right there. To be a godly influencer, you have to have the heart of a servant. This was the kind of ministry Paul had. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was a ministry of service to others. And the result of that influence was that God got all the glory from what happened through Paul's life. I know we can say, good job, Paul. But honest, honestly... If you know his story, you know that anything that good that came out of his life was a result of God's working in his life. It wasn't because Paul was a great man. It's because Paul served a great God. Through his life and ministry, he pointed countless people to God. And that ought to be the goal of every pursuit that a Christian undertakes. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The world says if you want to be successful, be famous, get a following, make a fortune. But God says if you want to be successful, be selfless, be sacrificial, be a servant. If we live our life God's way, then we can use whatever influence God may give us to get Him the most glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not saying today that we should 
crawl under a rock somewhere and hide our light from the world. Quite the opposite, actually. What I'm saying is that God expects us to use whatever influence we have for Him. To be a godly influencer. Yes, by all means, we should have an influence in this world. But to do it right, we have to follow God's pattern. And that means it's not about us. It's not about getting a following and being famous and making a fortune. It's about being selfless and sacrificial and serving others. And then through our lives, God will get glory. So let me ask you this morning, who are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are all your plans about how you can make more money and how you can be happier and how you can do what you want to do? Friend, let me tell you, if that's what your life is about, you're not being a godly influencer. And let me say also, that that kind of life will never satisfy. It's going to leave you empty and wanting more. No, our plans should all revolve around God. What does God want me to do? How can I best use my time, my talents, my treasure, my whole life for Him so that He gets the most glory? There's a song in our hymnal entitled, I'd Rather Have Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to sing that as a hymn of invitation. But I want you to honestly consider, can you sing that song sincerely? I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Can you honestly say that this morning? If not, then here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to take a moment and go to God in prayer and confess your selfishness and confess your wrong priorities and get it right with God today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless during this invitation time Move in hearts that decisions would be made. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.